This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Evening, everybody. Now, I want to know what kind of people come to church on Sunday night. Because you know when you leave the driveway, people are looking at you. Where are you all going? We're going to church. Oh, dear God, did somebody die? <laughs> no. Are you all in trouble? No. Where are you going? We're going to church. Well, then, well, they're having kind of a seminar thing going on. Well, what on? My family. Oh, dear God, is your family in trouble? No, we're trying to stay out of trouble. That's, that's why we're going. Okay, now hang with me here. I'm going to get you out of here in a timely manner. Amen. If you could put those, put me a picture up there. Let's start with this. And uh, uh, People don't think you have a family sometimes. Now, I showed these to my kids years ago when I was here, but I got some new ones, so I want to show you some stuff. Uh, oh, that will be your God. <laughs> uh, we will celebrate 44 years of marriage November the 11th of this year. That is the love of my life right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had just turned 18. Just. Praise God, I got her fresh right off the farm. My goodness. <laughs> We, we sort of grew up together. What's another picture? Show me another one. You got anything else? Up here? Oh, dear Lord, that's my youngest daughter. Just um, fought with her for quite a while. Uh, graduated from uh, uh, the O'More French School of Design in Franklin, Tennessee. Tuition is about 25000 a year plus a lot of other money. I remember she said, Dad, because I, I, on one of my kids to go to college, we came out of poverty out of Ducktown, Tennessee, and so look, great family, love my family, just we're ignorant and poor, so I said, we got to get this thing off of it, so all you kids are going to college, I don't care if you major in basket weaving, water bowling, you're going to go to college. We break this curse, so Martin came along, she's the fifth, and I said, what are you going to major in, babe? She said, I want to major in interior design. I said, you're going to major in what? Interior design. I've heard of majoring in business, you know, becoming a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer. I, I have no clue. What do you mean interior design? Well, I will train to design the interior buildings. And somebody's going to actually hire you to do that? Yes, Dad, it's a really big deal. And I said, no, it's not. You're going to major something important. The world's dying, going to hell. You're going to major something important. No stupid interior design. <laughs> she said, well, I'll get back with you. And, uh, and about a month later, we got back together. And she had a stack of scriptures that would choke a horse. She said, Dad, have a seat. So when you get to heaven, heaven's going to be a really gaudy place. The gates made out of one solid pearl, big oyster. You're going to walk on the street so pure, the gold is so pure you can actually see through it. Around the throne are four angels with six wings and not two and eyeballs on every side of their head. There's an emerald green rainbow light show going on behind the throne of God. It said that heaven's a gaudy place. Martha Stewart didn't decorate heaven. Then she had scriptures on the tabernacle and the temple and everything overlaid with gold and how beautiful it was. Dad, God's real big at interior design. When you get to heaven, you'll not sit at a card table and eat off a paper plate. <laughs> so after an hour, I said, fine, you can major interior design. So we figured out some things. God was good. She got scholarships for about 90% of everything, and uh, we wrote a few checks. And so she graduated. Well, that, that's one thing, but getting a degree doesn't get you a job. We're looking for a paycheck. I didn't send you to college to make me feel good. I sent you to college so I don't have to write you more checks. I want you to write me checks. Parents lay up for the children. Children lay up for the parents. You owe us. Good measure. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. You owe us a lot. And so 
And then Lauren got a, got a job with the, the largest uh, design firm in Nashville, Tennessee, right out of school. And uh, uh, they don't do normal stuff. They do whole subdivisions. They do the insides of big corporations. And, and uh, Lauren's, she's making more money her first year. Uh, her first year. She's just new, bottom of the boat. She's making more money her first year than I made when I was 40 years old. I thought, that's good. I started saying, that's not right, that's good. So anyhow, Lauren, I love you, babe. And, of course, she's working on designing my house stuff down there. There's my oldest daughter. That was the one that just about drive me wacky. Lauren, Sarah, Sarah was born as an adult. She never taught baby talk. We didn't know to talk baby talk. We, we had no clue. And so when he, she just say, Dad, pass the oatmeal. <laughs> okay. She taught all of my kids how to read. She loved to read. And so uh, she's trying to decide what she's going to major. So when you're great at reading, you're going to become a teacher and teach reading. I don't want to be a teacher. You're going to be one. Until you override my vision, I'm going to be your vision. If you get a bigger vision than mine, I will be your vision until then. So she went and did that, and then she got out, and uh, uh, that's the one tragedy probably of our life is the fact that she married a great guy of Oral Roberts University and made big old money. We really liked him a lot, and he died of cancer three years into their marriage, and we never had anybody die of cancer in our family. We never had anybody die early at all. Now, we got an old, ignorant, redneck family. Got people made moonshine, steal your car, burn down your house, beat you up, and shoot at you. But nobody died early. This leaves stinking mean, too mean to die. Live forever, man. I'm not kidding. So I, my theology is kind of messed up. So he died. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, he died. He shouldn't have died, man. So actually, he'd been healed twice, two years in a row. And then the third time, he went on to heaven. So she cried for about 30 days. And uh, I finally went and met her in the front yard. I said, babe, we got to get over this. Uh, the mortgage company doesn't care who died. The electric company doesn't care who died. The water company doesn't care who died. Okay? You got to pay some bills. So, well, number one, you got to get out of this big house he bought you because you can't afford this house on your salary. She said, I lost my husband, I'm losing my house. I said, well, you're going to have to come up with a plan. I don't know what it's going to be. I'll give you about a week. So what she did, she had her two siblings going to college, leave the dorm and move in with her and pay her rent, which actually saved me money. <laughs> and so, so anyhow, then she went on to get her master's and I uh, said, you know, might as well get back to school. You need more money than what you're making, so become a school principal. And then she said, well... I did that, I might as well get my doctorate. So this is her graduate, Oral Roberts, uh, actually four weeks ago now, with her doctorate in uh, education. And so what she's trying to, I keep saying, now what is your major in? Well, Dad, I, I have a doctor. A doctor of what? I, I got a tooth doctor and a health doctor and a doctor doctor. I don't know what kind of doctor you are. So I'm a doctor of curriculum development. I actually train to be a college president. That's what I'm trained to be. Now, hold that thought because some of this is going to sound arrogant tonight. Please hold this thought. Well, there's no vision that people perish, Proverbs 29, 18. I grew up like everybody else. We paid rent till I got married. We, my dad never owned a house. He never bought a new car. I love my father. I love my mother. Uh, we went on vacation to the family farm. You understand? And we were happy people. We were poor, didn't know and didn't care. We had a good life. Christmas trees, we cut ourselves. We didn't shop for them. We hung nothing fancy. We went out and found old skanky bird's nest and some pine cones and pop popcorn, hung that on the tree, you know. And Christmas Day, you took it out and burned it because it's already not too good, you know. <laughs> now, so I, I realized something. I know what, what we came out of, but I realized until you start getting a vision for something bigger and better, you won't chase anything. You'll settle. And the devil's a thief and a murderer and a liar, and he wants you to settle. He didn't want you to do anything bad. Just, and that's what most people are happy about. Well, we had another good year. Nothing bad happened. Man, it was great. Nothing bad happened. And that's a good year? No, no, that's a bad year. 
Uh, Jesus got some nasty stuff to say about things that don't bear fruit. You know, came out of that fig tree one day, going to eat him some fig, and there wasn't any figs. He cursed it, not cussed it. He cursed it. I imagine the boys thought, man, he sure got mad at that tree. Trees better get themselves some figs. <laughs> and well, they come back by the tree, and it's all dried up and dead. I said, that thing's already dead. That's right, dried up from the roots. Why? Jesus cursed it. Why? It should have produced. God designed you and I to produce. He likes it when we produce. He doesn't like it when we don't produce. He's paid a high price for us. Pastor shared it this morning again tonight. So what do you do when you pay a high price? Well, I expect you to do something, not just sit there like a tree stump. And so I thought, you know, we got to get out of this stuff that's in our family where we've settled for years. You know, uh, my parents lived with their parents for years before they finally got a rent house. You know, and I thought, you know, we, somehow we got this poverty mentality in us. And it's always somebody else's fault. The government's fault, and the boss's fault, and the neighbor's fault. And, the, and, it's all, and as long as it's somebody else's fault, I don't have to do anything. Not my fault. And it would come down, not my fault, not my fault. No, 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 no. If there's something I don't have that I'm supposed to have, it's my fault if I don't have it. Nobody else, it's my fault. Until I take responsibility, I won't do any better. So remember Sarah, she loved to read, so she went and became a professor, and now she's She's doing really good, and she doesn't need any paycheck. She's got her own, thank you, Jesus. And I told her, I want a Winnebago from you. I want a big one. So you start saving up because you owe me one. And then she taught all my other kids how to read. Go to the next picture. She taught all my kids how to read, and there's my girls, Sarah on the right, and Jessica, my second born, out there on the next to the right. She, we thought the hospital made a mistake. She came out blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and left-handed. And I thought, that, that's not my baby. No blonde hair in my family, no blue eyes. No, that's yours. No, I'm telling y'all, you, you got a mix-up somewhere. To, but no, she was ours. We did the DNA. She's ours. I was there. <laughs> I was there when it started, and I was there when it ended. I was there at both ends. <laughs> I'm like, nope, that's mine. God, you sure are a creative God. Bless your heart. And so, uh, she would dress in sweats, put a bobby pin in her hair, but she was great at math. So she's an accountant and got an accounting degree, and so she did that for years, and Decided to get married and have babies. So just had her second baby a year ago. So she said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to work doing being an accountant anymore, but I can make money doing other things. So Sarah always realized they hired her at church to counsel the women because that's kind of what she's got a degree in. So church pays her every Thursday to come up and pays her real good because she's only, they want women dealing with women, not men dealing with women. And boy, there's a boatload of women she deals with every Thursday. She's a blessing to them. Jessica comes along as an accountant, and she said, well, I'm going to go home and have babies, but I can still make money. And so she, she took extra courses. And I always tell my kids, don't just do what they ask you. Do something extra. Would you go do something extra? You know, the second mile, your coat and your shirt, extra, not just enough. You know, we won't, and we won't settle for just enough. So, you know, took all my girls, all my girls took a 10-key course, the local junior college, $39.95, 10 knots row, you learned to run a 10-key, a calculator, blah, 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 blah. You can run a 10-key, you can get a job at any bank in America making a minimum of $18 an hour. You'll work in the air conditioning when it's hot. You work in the heat when it's cold. You work around people who have a lot of money. And that's better than taking an order for a Big Mac and a Dr. Pepper at midnight at McDonald's. Because some of those people yell at you, cuss at you. They don't treat you nice. So she's, she's uh, my wife's leaving with her tomorrow to go down to Dallas to get recertified because she's certified to collect money. And uh, what she did was, uh, you go to a car dealership, they sell you a warranty. You know, extra warranty. Well, sometimes the warranty people won't pay off. And so when Jessica got hired on, 
their, her auto dealership that has five places in Tulsa, it's a big deal. Guy's a millionaire. Uh, they're behind $1.2 million. Warranty money should have been coming in. Well, Jess is real polite, but she's real aggressive. She was an athlete. She's real aggressive. She got on the phone. and So in nine months, she collected just short of $1 million of the $1.2 million. And they thought, whoa. Well, how did you do that? Well, you said they owed us. Well, we told them they owed us. Yeah, but I called them and talked to them nice and asked them, okay, well, I expect this in 15 days, this in 30, and this in 60. And I gave them a plan. I didn't just yell at them and cuss at them. Oh, God, you owe me some money. <laughs> they won't pay you. You've got to be nice. And then you have to get legal. And, of course, now our lawyer will be calling your lawyer. That worked real good. <laughs> so she makes just as much money working two days a week at home, four hours a day at her own computer with her babies down at their feet as she made working 40 hours a week at the car dealership. Because she took extra courses, which she's getting recertified tomorrow going down to Dallas, and Lisa's going to go with them to babysit. She'll get recertified in two days, and, and then she'll get another raise. She comes back because now she can do stuff other people can't do. Same thing with Corey over here on the left. Corey, 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 that was my main kid I told you about. I love Corey. She owns half my publishing company, runs my website, does everything, and she'll tell you what to do but not straight to your face. She gets you to think it's your idea. And then after you do it, you thought, that wasn't my idea. I think that was her idea. And Corey could cut you verbally, and you didn't know it. She could just rip you just something bad and smile at you, be poker face. I said, did you just cut me? I'm sorry, Dad, what? <laughs> did you just cut me verbally? I don't know, Dad. How did you take it? I don't know. How did you mean it? <laughs> so anyhow, Corey's got our publishing company going, and uh, she's doing an excellent job of that, and we've got some things going on the web now. Actually, that's Lauren um, there, and then Tessa in the middle. Tessa, Tessa bless her heart. <sighs> she loved medical shows. I hate medical shows. I don't like blood, especially my own. And so she'd watch medical shows on TV, and it'd be a heart out on the chest, boom, 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 keep her work. Shut that stupid stuff off. No, Dad, look, isn't that fascinating? And so she majored, she's a health science major, and she worked at Rygulch in the summer, you know, up there with the medical and said, how's your day today? Man, it was great, Dad. We put an eyeball in, set two bones, and 14 stitches. Awesome day. Hey, dear Lord, you're not normal. <laughs> so... She's been in a wild places on medical mission. She, she went north of the Arctic Circle for two weeks, lived with the Eskimos. Put stitches in a bunch of Eskimos up there. And because, you know, whale teeth are nasty. And they weren't swimming, they're on the beach. They're just trying to fillet them. <laughs> that was interesting. And she just got back from Uganda, and uh, her husband still got a year and a half of medical school to finish. And so they're living in a little one room apartment thing. And so, where are you going? Uganda. Where? Uganda. I just saw some on TV. People aren't supposed to go there. No, it'll be fine, Dad. We're going there on the medical missions. Well, not to Uganda, babe. I mean, a lot of the countries. You've got 200 countries. Pick another one. No, Dad, they need us in Uganda. Well, the government just issued a warning. I know, Dad, but we're fine. Oh, Dad, Lord, I've got so much to think about. Now my baby's going to Uganda. So I said, your stinking husband. Your stinking husband. He's some wacko. I'm going to have to talk to him. And he's real friendly. He's a nice guy. He said, Michigan, we're fine. So they didn't tell us that they had four armed guards with Uzis the whole time they were there. We're going on a mission to teach Jesus, and we have guys with Uzis. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> well, it was, it was heart-wrenching. They came back and had a great time. They're texting every day, get to get the phone where you can do satellite. And pictures, just, just dozens and dozens of kids smiling and playing and laughing. And it was about the Thursday I asked, I said, Hey, man, it's great, all these kids you're working with and playing with and giving shots to them. Just like, Where's their parents? And she said, Dad, they don't have any parents. 
Was this an orphanage? No, Dad, it's just a, it's just a community. Where's their parent? They all died from AIDS. A lot of the kids have AIDS. You know, some places in the world, hell's running rampant. But you know what? I got a daughter that said, where do you want to go? I want to go somewhere where we need a guy with a Uzi. We're going to help kids die of AIDS. If you're going to walk into hell, how hot is it? Well, I just like going to the hottest spot. Some people want to sit on the sidelines and watch the game. Some people want to get in the middle of it. So as a father, I'm real stinking proud. I'm not going. I'll never go to Uganda. I'd say a burning bush and three angels have to sing to me. I'm not going. I have, I have no grace to go to Uganda. But she does. She loves it. You know, they're already scheduled to go back in December. It's like, well, Merry Christmas. Praise God. So anyhow, get the next picture. Uh, those, those are my girls. That's my male child. Dear God, I got me a man. And uh, he was number six, and people always made fun of us. Did you keep trying? You had a boy? I said, dear Lord, no. Nobody's that stupid. We wanted five kids. Uh, we, that's all we wanted. Well, I figured after the third one, I have no male genes in me because the man determines the sex of the child. So, you know, when he popped out, I was stunned because I never wanted to know what it was. Don't tell me, doctor, you want to No, I don't want to know. That's like opening a Christmas present Christmas Eve. That's cheating. I don't want to know. And so when John popped out, I was like, whoa, he's got a thing. I got me a male. <laughs> and I, was, I was thrilled. And Denise was on the table and they're cutting the corner and said, I said, it's a boy. My God, we got a male child. The family line will continue. I got a boy. And she's crying. And she never cried. And she's crying. She said, baby, okay, what is it? What is it? And she muttered something. I said, what is it? She said, we'll have to have another one. What? You need somebody to play with? I said, I said, he's got five sisters. He'll do really good. It'll be fine. And those women made sure he's all male, buddy. So John's my second best friend outside my wife. I think that's all. You got any more? I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. You can shut that off. Now, the reason I show you that is everybody's got a normal family. Everybody. Now, I remember people, you know, they get married, and you get married, and you finally go meet family members you didn't meet when you were dating. And you say, are they part of your family? Oh, yeah. They're going to be coming over for dinner every now and then. Oh, dear Lord. Well, you got any others like that? I mean, how squirrely is your tree? <laughs> And so every tree's got nuts and flakes in it. Now, the point of this is not to make you laugh. The point of this is you and I are called to be light and salt, and it starts with our own family. It does. What are you going to do? I'm going to make everybody's life better. It's going to start right here in my own home. We're going to make this work. I fly all the time, and uh, two things I feared as a child. Uh, I feared public speaking. I took Fs on all oral book reports, including my freshman year in college. I don't talk to anybody, and you can't make me. Uh, number two, I feared flying. Now, I lived right across an abandoned rock quarry that's full of water, and it's a great place to swim. Now, the county would run us out, and they'd come every now and put a barbed wire fence, and we could crawl under it. And we'd climb trees, and we'd catch possums, you know, bring them home like pets, and put them in the birdcage, and had a little tail curl around our finger, because, you know, when you can't afford a pet, you go get your own. You know, our mothers would wrap, you know, kerosene-soaked, you know, cloths around our ankles so the ticks won't crawl up our legs or just on our feet. Well, that's a farce because they'll get in where they can get. They went right past the kerosene ankle. And so growing up, two things I feared. Now, the odd thing about that is today all I do is talk to people and fly on airplanes. That's all I do because God has a real wacky sense of humor. So don't prejudge your children. I'm trying to set you up here tonight. Your children are God's gift to you and to the world. Every child's gifted to do something phenomenal and unique. But the devil starts early since your child's born because we start comparing ourselves among ourselves. We're told not to do that. 
my child didn't make first chair reading or first chair flute, and they didn't make the ball team, and they're not captain of the whatever. And it's like, you'll start, well, they're just, you know, they're just normal. They're just nothing except. And you'll start speaking mediocrity over your child early, thinking you're being real humble. Well, you know, they're just, they're just a good kid. No, they're a gift from God. Destined to do mighty things upon this planet. They're going to do some incredible things. I don't care if they never made it out of kindergarten. Every child's gifted by God to change the world. And so what I had to start doing is collecting biographies to help my kids understand you're destined for greatness. You might not be good at that, but there's something you're real stinking good at. You just haven't found it yet. So <laughs> I fly because I fly again in first class. I don't have to buy first class. I get bumped all the time. And so I like first class. Bigger seats, they recline, they serve you. As soon as you get on the plane, can we get you something? We'd like some ice water. And so used to, the only people that flew first class were business people. Well, that's changed. America's changed. So we got all kinds of people in first class, every kind of person you can imagine. So I got on. We're coming out of Houston a few weeks ago, and I got on. And I got a window seat. I'm sitting there next to the window, and I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to be asleep when we take off. Laid back, and this elderly gentleman got on and sat in the seat in front of me. He's got on a little sweater vest. And I guess he's retired, looks like he is. So I thought, well, he laid back. So he got on. Yep, you got the right idea, guy. We're going to take a nap. Well, pretty soon, plane's filling up, and a young businessman, a suit and tie guy, comes on with a briefcase, sits in the seat next to him in front of me. Now, all I can see is the back of their head. I can't see their face. He sat down, and I saw him, because you can see between the seats, he popped out a laptop, and boy, he's going after He's doing some business stuff. He keeps looking at the elderly gentleman behind him like he knows him. I thought, well, maybe he knows the guy. And he looks at him, plane's still loading. Finally, he reached over, and he touched the guy on the shoulder. Sir, sir. The other guy looked up, looked toward him, and I can't see the face. I just saw his head turn. He said, yeah. Sir, you mind if I ask you a question? Since I fly all the time first class. I like to play a little game. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question. Any question I want. And, and if you can't answer it, you owe me $5. <laughs> I'm trying to think, did I hear him right? What kind of stupid deal? He said, but then, but then, then you get to ask me a question. Any question you want. And if I can't answer it, I'll give you $500. I thought, I didn't hear that right. And so, and so the guy, you tell the guy's just looking. So, so I get to go first. I get to go first. So, so here's my question to you. How far is it in miles from the earth to the moon? You can tell he's looking right at the older guy, and the older guy's just staring at him. Not make, I can't hear him say anything. So finally, the older guy leaned in to him like he's going to whisper something. Well, no, he's reached for his billfold. He reached his billfold, grabbed a five-dollar bill, and he handed it to him. Laid his head right back down on the seat. And the guy said, no, 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 it's your turn. It's your turn. You get to ask me something. You get to ask me a question. You can tell the guy's kind of irritated, and he looked up. And so he's sitting there looking at him, and here's what I heard him say. He said, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And the young guy said, what? What goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? He laid his head back down. Well, the guy's staring, how he's thinking? Well, he gets on the cell phone. He's calling some of his friends. I get, hey, 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 Bill, Bill, you ever heard what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? You never heard that? You know anybody's ever heard that? Okay. And he calls somebody else, and then he gets his laptop out. He's Googling what goes up here with three legs. Yeah, Father Stewart comes on and says, I'm sorry, you'll have to put away your electronic stuff. We're about ready to take off and to put your seatbelts on. And he just slammed his laptop down. Now, the old guy's just sitting there. He's going back, and he's got his eyes shut. And the young guy's looking at him. He's like, hmm. So he leaned in, got a bill for, pulled out five $100 bills, and punched him on the shoulder, and he handed it to him. The guy looked at him, took it, put in his billfold, laid his head back down. <laughs> You can't make this up. And the guy says, well, what's the answer? And the guy raises, what? What's the answer? What goes up here with three legs and comes down with four? And the guy looked at him up, leaned in, got his billful, got a $5 bill, and handed it to him. 
I thought, I'm going to preach that all over America. There are people who go through life trying to impress other people. And this starts early on the playground when you're in kindergarten. You want somebody to think you're somebody. Well, the great thing about being in a local church is if you're in a local church hanging out with the body of Christ, sitting under a great pastor, you should already know who you are in him, in whom in Christ. I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to be first chair flute. I don't have to win a race. I don't have to catch the biggest fish, shoot the biggest deer. I'm accepted in the beloved. God Almighty loves me just like I am, warts and all. I don't need to impress anybody. Matter of fact, I'm loved so much I can spend time serving other people. If you spend your life serving other people, you'll never lack for anything. As Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom, you become the servant of all. But you see it with our kids, our teenagers, everybody's a show-off. Peeling their tires out of a red light, playing the music real loud, wearing a hat backwards, you know, dressing weird. What are you trying to do? You need somebody to look at you, don't you? And uh, I got a cousin that we play horseshoes every year in the family reunion. He's good. Man, he has pierced more places on his face. He could never get on an airplane. He couldn't get through security. He's got rings and nose rings and stuff to his life and his eyebrow. And like, but he pitches great horseshoes. And so we always team up. We usually win. Great kid. He, he called up a few years ago, called up. We're going to the family reunion up in Ducktown. Hey, so Mr. Gee, how you doing? Hey, son, how you doing? We're pitching again. That's right, son. I'm going to win that trophy again. We got her. He said, I just need to tell you, now, Mr. Gee, I, I know you've been preaching. I'm, going, I'm bringing my girlfriend with me, which means they're standing in the house, sleeping in the same bed. I know what he's trying to tell me. Does that bother you? Uh-uh, no, son, doesn't bother me at all. Man, I sure appreciate you. You're just a different kind of preacher. You know that? You just love everybody. Yes, son, I do. I love everybody. So, so it doesn't bother you. I'm going to be bringing my girlfriend with me. No, it doesn't bother me at all. No, I, don't, I don't care. So we're going to pitch. We're going to win that thing. Man, it's so good that it doesn't bother me. Well, son, the reason it doesn't bother me is because you're going to hell anyhow, so it doesn't matter what you do. No, I'm not making that up. I told him. Now, we know each other. I said, son, it doesn't matter. You're going to hell anyhow, so you can sin all you want. You're still going to hell. Until you know Jesus, it doesn't matter. Sin as much as you want, as often as you can, because you're, you're going to hell anyhow. So have a good time while you can. And so he got saved at the family reunion. He, he, <laughs> he still got it. He's still pierced everywhere. So what God's asking you now to do is love people. Not judge them, not criticize them. What are you going to do? I'm going to love you, and it's going to mess with you because you know you don't deserve it. That's why you're a show-off. You're trying to get attention when you're already loved by the creator of the universe who loves you just like you are, but nobody's told you that. And since you don't know that, you're using your flesh to make up for it. So I'm going to give you this. This is, this is Luke chapter 2. Uh, there was a great book my daughter gave me since she's my college student called How Children Succeed, New York Times bestseller. Very good book. Fascinating. And so uh, how children succeed. This guy's an educator, went to Harvard, did stuff. Really wrote it good. But he based everything on a study that was done by John Hopkins University. And they were studying rats. And the reason they were studying rats is they were trying to figure out how some rats end up healthy and some rats don't. And uh, it was different. So they're studying. So it was a 20-year study. It was, a, it was a grant they got from the federal government. Your taxes paid for this. 20-year study of rats, why some rats lived long and healthy and some didn't. And this was the summation of the 20-year study, which is fascinating to me. They noticed that some mama rats were very nurturing. The minute they had their baby rats, they licked them. They licked their head, they licked their rump, they licked them all the time. Just lick, 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 you know. Some mama rats didn't lick nothing. 
They had their babies. They'd let them nurse, but they never gave them the time of day. They noticed the, the rats that were licked all the time by their mothers grew bigger, lived longer, were healthier, and strayed further from home. They had more boldness. Now, this is a Harvard study, you know. And what is it? Well, they, they, were, they felt good about themselves. I'm loved. My mother loves me. And since I'm loved, let's go do something. But if you leave home, you don't know your love, you're trying to earn it the rest of your life. You've got to make somebody love you. I don't have to make anybody love me. God loves me. That's the great thing about being born again. I am accepted in the beloved. People say, what's wrong with kids in America? Well, it's just rebellion, it's sin, it's drugs. No, it's not. They don't know their love. They're looking for it. That's why they're show off. That's why they do weird stuff. What they need? They need affirmation. Might be killing somebody, robbing a store, beating somebody up, running somebody over. What do you need? You need to know you're worth something. And until you learn that the truth, hell will move through you trying to get it. And it'll never end. It'll get worse. That's why you don't have an opportunity to preach the gospel in the last days. So, do this. This is, I thought, when we started doing this years ago, I thought, well, got to go back to the Word of God. Got to find this in the Word of God somewhere. Can't go through some psychology one-on-one thing. So, you know, I know all the scriptures about, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. We sung that early, you know. I'm accepted in the beloved. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because he loved me, took my place. So if you meditate on enough, like, man, I'm going to run boldly to the throne of grace, get mercy up in time of need. But what did Jesus do? How did he learn? Because Jesus was born like you and I were born. A man lost it. A man's got to get it back. You know, you can see, imagine God in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Adam just shot his foot off. He's got fired from his job, evicted from his house. The kids are killing each other. So you can imagine the father looking at the son. Well, son, he's done it. I knew he was going to go stupid on us. He's done it. Lost it all. Satan's become the legal god of that planet, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. There's going to be dying, disease, and murder, and floods. I'm going to have to send you down there to fix it, son. You got to go, you know. Now, you can't go like you. I'm going to have to shove you in that mother's womb. Now, I'm going to say she's going to have to shove you out, and you're going to have to grow up figure out who you are, and it's going to take a little process. Then once you figure out who you are, you're going to have a pretty good run for about three and a half years. Then they're going to arrest you and beat the dog out of you, and then they're going to kill you and nail you to the cross. You're going to go to hell for three days. But you've got to go. What if Jesus had been like most men? Not my fault. Not my fault. You were good to him, Father. You gave him everything to pertain to life and godliness. You did everything for him. Not my fault. I don't have to go. Not my fault. And we say that all the time when we don't want to do something. But thank God, Jesus was a real man. He became responsible for something that was not his fault. Real men become responsible for things that are not their fault. They do extra. They go the extra mile. They do the extra thing. So I'll just give this to you. This is Luke chapter 2, New Living Translation. Pick this up. Jesus has just turned 12. He's a 12-year-old. And so they go down to Jerusalem every year. About a four-day walk, because nobody's riding a Winnebago or a bus. It's a bad road. Thugs, these robbers, you always went in a big caravan to protect one another. Go down to Jerusalem. It's an eight-day festival, four-day march back home. So this is a two-week event every year, going down to this big festival. So they're down there. The festival ends on Saturday, on the Sabbath, about noon. You start home. Usually they can cover about four hours. You make camp before dark. Nobody's got a flashlight or, you know, a lantern. So you make camp before dark, build a fire, fix the food, make sure all the livestock take care of, put up your tent, get ready for bed. So they're going back, so just set that up. So I'll read this to you. Um, I'm going to jump in at uh, verse 41 of Luke 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. 
When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he did not show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. His parents did not know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to your father and I? We have been frantic searching for you everywhere, Jesus answered. But why did you need to search, he asked. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or the King James says, did you not know I need to be about my father's business? Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favored God and favored with man. Now, the reason I love this story is what's Jesus doing at age 12? Same thing my kid's trying to do at age 12 and at age 20. He's trying to find out who he is. He doesn't know who he is. Well, he's the son of God. No, 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 no. No, he's a kid just like every other kid. When God came to earth, he had to come as a human. A human lost it. A human's got to get it back. Jesus did nothing as God. If Jesus did anything as God on earth, he cheated. Had a first Adam that lost it. We need a second Adam to get it back. Thus the virgin birth, silent night, holy night, we through kings of Orient are. Now it's in the Bible, it's just most people don't read it. It's real simple. So who's in that human body? Well, that's the second member of the Godhead, Christ. The second member of the Godhead that created the universe, the 93 billion known galaxies, is in that baby's body. He's talking, body, I'm going to prepare for you, son. You've got to go down there and get this back. So it's no different. You and I, are you born again? Yes. You filled with the Holy Ghost? Yes. You know everything? No, I'm still growing. But you are born again. Yes, my spirit can't sin. It's impossible. My spirit's hooked up with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to heaven. My salvation is secure. But I'm still growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's why I need to meditate in the Word of God, hang out with the saints, repent when I need to, forgive when I need to. I'm still a growing person. I'm not there yet. Jesus had to do the same thing. So what's he doing at 12? Now, you got to understand, I've been in family reunions. I don't care where the kids are as long as they're not around me. Because I got a boatload of them. So you go up to my grandfather's farm, 430 acres in Turtletown, Tennessee, and the kids scatter. They go to the barn, they're going to go down and try to ride a horse and run through the creek, and they're just going to play. And we're thankful. They won't show up until it's time to eat. Now, you realize something. Where's your kids at? I don't know. They'll be here when it's time to go home. And that's all I care about. It's no different with Jesus. Where's he at? He's with other cousins and relatives. So it's a caravan going home. Okay, that's the sign. We're headed home. So. It's just a whole, it's hundreds of people and donkeys and camels and stuff and dirt and dust and kids crying and laughing and throwing stuff. So they're not looking for Jesus. Now they know some. Who is this? Well, he's the son of God. We, we got visited by an angel when I was a virgin and said I'd have a virgin birth. And then Joseph got visited and he was told the same thing. He tried to dump me, but the angel had to talk to him again. He didn't dump me. We stayed together. And they don't put this in the Christmas movie, but it's in the Bible. And so, you know, we finally have the virgin birth. Now we can have real sex together. We have our own children. So we've got Jesus, the virgin birth. Now we've got some natural brothers. So there's some other kids hanging around now. And so, so they go down and they're heading home. Jesus is 12. So they get down. They make camp that evening. So they're about four hours from Jerusalem. They make camp. It's noisy. It's dusty. Joseph puts the tent up. Mama gets the fire going. She's cooking dinner. Mary says, Joseph, get the boys. Get them here. It's time to eat. Now, by this time, most historians say Jesus had three younger brothers by this time. So I'm going to bring the boys in. Well, the three younger brothers come in. And Mary said, where's Jesus at? 
I don't know. I yell for him. He's not there. So, well, go get him. Get him in here. Tell him to eat. So Joseph disappears. Well, hours go by. It gets dark. Joseph shows back up. Mary said, where have you been? The food is cold. Well, I'm looking for Jesus. Well, where's he at? I don't, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I've been from one account to another. No, nobody's seen him. Well, get out there and find him. No, you know, he, he's not here. I think we left him in Jerusalem. <laughs> we left Jesus in Jerusalem? We've lost the Son of God? We could have lost one of these. We lose that one. What kind of father are you? Now, they don't put that in the King James Bible, but it happened. <laughs> Nobody slept that night. I mean, man, it is one mouthy mess that night, man. They're not worshiping God, I guarantee you. The sun came up, they handed the kids off to other relatives, and they hoof it back to Jerusalem. It's a four-hour hoof. Yelling, they get to Jerusalem. Now, where do you find a 12-year-old boy? I don't know. Are there any bowling alleys, pool halls, movie theaters? I don't know. Where do you go look for a 12-year-old kid in a big old city? That's a huge place. This isn't a little dumpy place. This is a mega city back then. For three days, they're looking everywhere. Hey, have you seen a 12-year-old kid about this high, got the hair thing, whatever, you know? Hey, you seen it? And three days later, they're exhausted. Jesus has been gone for four days. Who did you lose? Oh, well, we lost the Son of God. Yeah, we've lost him. We're probably going to hell and going to burn forever. We have lost the Son of God. So, so they're talking, where have we not looked? Where have we not looked? And Joseph probably said, well... You know, we've not looked at church. You know, he's kind of different. Maybe he's hanging out down there at church. And they walk into the temple, and there he sits. There's Jesus. What's he doing? He's asking questions. What's the 12-year-old Jesus trying to do? Trying to find out who he is. Always heard the stories. Mama told him about the star and the virgin birth and the wise men. And, you know, he's already been on the thing when they ran to Egypt to hide and came back. Herod's dead. He's heard all the stories, but... He noticed something. He can't walk on the pond. He can't even raise a dead goldfish. No, don't think he didn't think this. Don't think he didn't think this. Well, you're a child of God. Fill with the Holy Ghost. Shondai. Well, I'm about to check it's not ping pong balls on the concrete floor. My spouse is yelling at me. My kids are flunking algebra. Transmission's leaking. Dryer door won't stay shut. Shondai to you. I'm telling you how every human thinks. That's why we're to meditate in the Word of God. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to ask. So, you know, he goes back home, daddy dies, he takes over the family business, all the brothers and sisters work for him, and they didn't like him. None of his family followed him during his ministry. It wasn't until he came out of the grave that his family started to follow him. Who are you? We don't know who you are. We know who our daddy was, we don't know who your daddy was. They didn't think he was natural born. He's, Mama was messing around. No, I'm not being funny, I'm being serious. They didn't like him. But he's the head of the family. they got to work for him. Now, they had a big business. They were the local Home Depot. Things were going good. One day, the brothers come into the house and, Mama, we got to do something. Jesus is not down at the shop. People need the furniture, and he's not there. Where's he at? Well, he's gone to town. We're hearing some bad stuff. Stuff's going, we got to go get him. Then we got to go get him. Well, these weird stuff. There's eyeballs popping in and hands growing out, and they're going to kick us out of church. They're going to kick us out of church. Now, you can read on down to the two more chapters where Jesus is in the house. It's packed one night. Everybody's listening to him. And the guy comes to Jesus because it's packed. He's teaching. And it's dark. Hey, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They've come to see you. And Jesus said, really? Well, now, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Are there not these sitting here? And the Bible says, Mary heard. She's outside. She's listening. 
<gasps> He's gone crazy. I've lost my son because they didn't come in. They didn't. None of his brothers believed he was the son of God. Jesus has to do the same thing. When you and I got born again spirit filled, we thought, our life's changed. My God, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I'm going to heaven. I've been redeemed the blood of Jesus. I can pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in God. And all of a sudden, hell showed up. They're like, I don't understand. I thought I got saved. Yeah, you got saved. You're going to heaven. And hell just noticed. And hell's making a run at you. Jesus never had the devil make a run at him until the day he found out who he was. And I told this morning, when Jesus finally, you know, you got to hang with this because this is, just read the three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That'll be enough. You don't even have to read John. Jesus is in there, and all of a sudden, he's hearing stories. He's in town. Things are happening. And he's having stuff happen. He's like, hey, you know, maybe all those stories are true. All of a sudden, he goes down to the river. He hears about this camel hair bug eating Baptist down there, dunking people in the water. He just walked down to Sydney, showed up, and that crazy Baptist stood up. Behold the land of my God that takes away the sin of the world. He's going to increase and I'm going to decrease. And Jesus came up and John the Baptist said, you need to baptize me. No, you need to baptize me. I'm just here as a human right now. You need to dunk me under. So John the Baptist baptized him. Jesus comes out of the water. The Bible says heaven split wide open and God's hand came out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Humans didn't hear him. Jesus heard him. What's God trying to do? He's trying to catch him up. Uh, you're him. It's you in there. Because the Spirit of God's in there, but the flesh has got to catch up. The mind's got to get rid. That's why there are people who are born again and living in hell. Why? You're not renewed your mind. You don't know who you are. Oh, you're going to heaven. You're just probably going early and broke as dirt. Because you've not renewed your mind to the Word of God as to who you are in him, in whom, and in Christ. So all of a sudden, Jesus gets baptized. Immediately, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to square off against the devil. Why? The devil's been looking for him since the Garden of Eden. God told loose from the Garden of Eden, okay, big boy, one day I'm going to come in the flesh, and I'm going to take this back. He told him, I'm coming. I'm coming. So the devil doesn't know. The devil's a fallen angel. He can't read your mind. So he starts to kill humans. First, man lived to be 900 years old, then 700 years old, then 500 years old, then 300. And people, well, you know, the ozone killed everybody off. No, it didn't. The devil killed everybody off. He hates humans. The devil hates all humans. So all of a sudden, man, he heard the, he heard the deliverer had been born. Well, it wasn't. It was just Moses. He demon-possessed Pharaoh. They killed people by the thousands up down the Nile River. What's going on? The devil's trying to kill God before he grows up. All of a sudden, the wise men hang out with Herod. What's going on? We followed the star. You know, the Savior's been born. So all of a sudden, the devil demon possesses Herod. Herod goes into Bethlehem two weeks later, kills baby boys two years of age and under by the hundreds. What's going on? The devil's looking for God to kill him before he grows up. So all of a sudden, in this water baptism, God says, hey, big boy, this is him right, right here. Come on. And immediately the Holy Ghost leads Jesus into the wilderness and the devil follows him out. Why? God just told him, you've been looking for him? Here he is, big boy. Bring it on. Because up until now it was hidden. It was a mystery. He couldn't figure out who it was. God had hid it. So they got in the wilderness. So the devil's a liar. So he didn't believe the truth. God just said it's his son. So he goes out and he just stares at him. He's just looking at him. That doesn't look like God. That's just some smelly piece of Jewish flesh. So he notices he's not eating. So the devil never runs in. He's, he's, stra he's got strategy. He'll watch you. He's looking for your weak spot. So he watched me. You know, she's not eating. He's fasting. Well, what kind of fast is he on? There's only three fasts for a Jewish person. Three days, seven days, 40 days. On day eight, the devil knows he's going for the big one. All right, he's going for So the devil does not approach Jesus till day 40. The devil's not going to attack me where I'm strong. The devil's going to come at me where I'm weak. Thank God the Bible says, where you're weak, there will I make you strong. We've got it made, but we've got to press in. 
So you know the story is, you know, hey, is that you in that Jewish flesh? You look hungry. If you're hungry, why don't you turn some rocks into bread? We eat lunch, talk over old times. And for the first time ever, a human spoke to the devil and said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Man shall not live by bread alone. Every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. He hit the devil like a ball bat. The, the devil cannot handle the spoken word of God. It is the only offensive weapon you and I possess. That's why the devil doesn't want you speaking scripture or memorizing scripture or reading scripture. Why? Because it pounds his head. The devil's not afraid of me. He's afraid of Christ in me coming out of my mouth. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You got to start saying what God says. Not what, well, my God, what are we going to do? I don't know, but we're going to be more than a conqueror. We're going to come out of this. Whatever the devil steals, he's got to pay back seven times. God's going to give me sweet sleep tonight. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm rolling my cares over in God for he cares for me. You've got to start saying what God says. So all of a sudden, three, it is written. Jesus comes back. He comes into the town. It's on the Sabbath. He comes to sit down to read the Scripture. They hand him Isaiah, the scroll, and he reads the Scripture. You know, you know the Spirit of God's upon me. He's anointed me to heal the sick. You know, raise dead, cast out devils. You know the whole deal. And, he rolled the scroll up and he handed it back. And I mentioned this morning when he handed it back, they bragged on him. But we got to have him read more often. He just reads good. But the other guy, when he read it, said, what did he say? He said, he's the one, the one, one. He says, he's the Messiah. And so, man, they mobbed him and drug Jesus outside of town to throw him off a cliff. When did they attack Jesus for the first time? The first time ever in all the scripture that he got attacked, the day he found out who he was. Jesus, when did hell show up in your life? The day I found out who I was, because Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Who are you? I'm him. I am the son of God. And hell showed up. So I always wanted my kids to know, I love you. I love you. I don't want you to just get saved and go to heaven. Everybody needs to go to heaven. Salvation's been paid for, but you've got to receive it like a gift. I want you to live a great life down here. I want you to be an overcomer and more than a conqueror. I want you to learn how to repent quick, forgive quick. I want you to know how to repent of sin and, and be a blessing to people and give water to the thirsty and food to hungry. I want you to live everybody in every place better than you find it. Because until you learn to do that, you'll be a thumb sucker. Man, nothing good ever happened to me, and I've never had a break. Nobody ever loved me, and I've never had a break. Because there's a devil who's in charge of this planet, and he hates your ever-living guts. Until you find out who you are in him, and who it's not going to happen. So, I'll just pick this up over here in Luke chapter 4. I like this. This is what Jesus read when he went back. He's come back in the wilderness. He sits down. Here's what his exact words, this New Living Translation, a little different. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me, who have mercy, to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled the scroll up, handed it back to the tenant. He sat down. All eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And of course, you know, the conversation starts happening. When they heard this, verse 28, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. They had never been furious. They bought furniture from Jesus. They knew his dad. They knew his mom. They knew his family. Everybody loved him. He read all the time. It wasn't until the day he said, you know who I am? I'm a child of God. I'm the son of God. Until the day he found out who he was, hell didn't bother him. I'm trying to help you. I, I teach on parenting and family. Most parents, well, I just want my kid to be nice, not get drunk or snort dope or get rebellious or fornicate. Well, you have a low standard. That's a real stinking low standard. I want my child to be mighty upon this planet. I want them to leave a name. I want them to build something great. I want them to scare hell when they wake up. I want you to get a good job and take care of your family and pay your bills, mow your grass and paint your house and unstop your toilet. 
also want you to leave something better than you find it. You're here by divine appointment for such a time as this. So, with that in mind, I'm going to violate a couple laws of public speaking in closing here and just give you some things. Now, this is stuff I've thrown at my kids. This is, this is what Joe's thrown at his kids. So, uh, you can download this off my website. This is called That None Should Perish. You go to Joe McGee Ministries and download this for free. So, I give this to my kids just to mess with them. I don't want you to be nice. I did for a long time. I want my kids to pass algebra and pass English and be nice. And I thought, no, I, don't. I want you to scare hell. I don't want you to be nice. I want you to be mean as not. I want you to be a child of God. Get your armor and go slap something. Not somebody, something. You know. So I gave this to them. So this is the scriptures I printed out for all of them. So the battlegrounds in heavenly places, it is not your teacher, it's not your coach, and it's not your sibling. Okay, you're fighting the wrong enemy. So I'll just read the highlight. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of people who don't believe. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to destroy the weapons that he has. God's, he's already equipped us. Uh, Ephesians 6, 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's not your teachers, not your causes, not your bosses, it's the devil working through them. You stop short of your real enemy. That stinking boss, the stinking teacher. And st they're not your enemy. The devil's your enemy using flesh. Until you get your real enemy, you'll be a thumb sucker when Jesus comes. You pull up short of who your real enemy is. Your job is to work in walk in love toward people, not be judging. Just smile real big. I got so many stories on that one. I like this. Revelation 12, 11. We have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Ephesians 2 1. Whew, we got people who live in sin like the rest of the world. They obey the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So every news thing that you see, whatever happened in France, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen tonight, what's going on? It's the devil. He's got spirits that work for him. He kills, steals, and destroys. He's not stopping. He's picking up his intensity. So I'm quit feeding on stupid guys. The devil's tearing up stuff. Quit getting, you didn't do anything. You just watched bad stuff. Did you watch that? Whoa. Did you hear that? Whoa. Quit feeding on stupid. Go help somebody. You're sidetracked watching what the devil, we're watching what the devil's doing. Uh, the devil just did something, but we've got some new stuff the devil did. We'll be back, right back after this commercial and show you some new stuff the devil's done. <laughs> Stay tuned. Only I got three minutes. I'm out of time. John 8 44. You are your children. You are the children of your father, the devil. He's a murderer. He hated the truth. He's a liar and the father of lies. I'm either a child of God or I'm a child of the devil. There's no waiting ground in between. You're either serving God or you're serving the devil. My job is to reach those the devil's captured. Who are you trying to love? Unlovable people. Who are you trying to reach? Unreachable people. Who are you trying to be nice to? People that aren't nice. I'm a child of God. We're looking for hell. We're looking to storm the gates of hell. If you get it in your deep, you'll change your whole attitude about your family, about going to work. What are you? I'm a problem-solving machine. It's what I do. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Then James 4, 7, resist the devil. He'll flee. He'll flee, not walk away. He'll run. He hates being resisted with the word. Word of God hurts him. So this is the summation. This is what Satan's blinded the minds of people. We're to knock down the strongholds of human reason that he's created. We're fighting against evil rulers, not against people. We defeat the devil by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. He's the commander of the powers of the unseen world, and he's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Uh, they are their children, uh, children of their father, the devil. Satan will not outsmart us. <laughs> Watch this now. Satan will not outsmart us. This is in Ephesians. For we, are, we are well aware of his evil schemes. People said, you scared of the devil? No. Why? Because I serve God Almighty. who knows what he's thinking before he thought it. 
God's going to order my steps, direct my paths, guide me off truth, surrender the shield of divine favor. The angels of God can't round about me, Psalm 91, everywhere I go. I sleep sweet at night. My wife woke up last night and called me, about 11.55, phone name. Joe, Joe, Joe. And I said, what? So somebody trying to break in the house. I think I went in the door just, just jarred. And I said, baby, I don't think anybody's trying to break in. I don't think they can get in. But if they do, you know, number one, you know where the gun is. It's loaded. Got quiet in here. We're Okies. We shoot. It's legal in our state. Boom, boom. <laughs> if they're nice, they knock on the door. If they can't get in, they're not nice people. Do you understand that? Now, I've had a house broke into. My old country house in Tennessee got broken into. Some guy kicked the back door in. <laughs> I wasn't there. I wasn't there. <sighs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that, but I, be- I do believe it. I just didn't mean to say it. The point of all that is my enemy's not flesh. Even the guy broke in my house in Chattanooga. He's been used by the devil. What'd you do? You're a thief. You're a lazy thumb sucker who won't work. You steal from other people who work. You're demonic full of the devil. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray blindness be removed from your mind. That God enlightens the eyes of your understanding. I'm going to heat coals fire on your head, and I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose people to cross your path and message you bad, and you're going to bring my stuff back in Jesus' name. I don't care if it takes five years. You're bringing it back. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll just join them with a cheerleader from hell. Stinking thief, stole my stuff. No, they're bringing it back. And nobody's ever breaking my house again, I guarantee you. So we got steel doors now, and we got cameras, and I got huge, big. We never had any lights outside for some reason. I got dual floods on every four corner. I got one of those big you know, lights that come on at dark. Man, it looks like there's a ball game going on. What is this? And on my house, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Because evil people love the dark. Anyhow. Here's what the devil does. He blinds minds. He creates strongholds. He has evil rulers in heavenly places. He's the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He's the father of his own children. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He plots evil schemes. He lays traps. He holds people captive. He has strategies and cunning ways. I did that for my kids. Until you figure out who your enemy is, you're aiming at their own target. Every time I hear you, if you're talking about a fellow work member, you're talking about your spouse, your neighbor, you got the wrong target. The devil's got you thumb-sucked and going after the wrong target. The devil's your target, not humans. Humans have been lied to, and they're being used by the devil. You got to pray for them. Pray for those that you despitefully use. You say all manner of evil against them. You're supposed to pray for them, not cuss them by. Well, God, I'll guarantee you, get you this, get you this. You're, <laughs> the devil's got you. You don't know who your enemy is. I want you to succeed in life. You do that by knowing who you are in him and whom in Christ. You're not afraid of the devil. Hell's afraid of you. Do you understand? He's working hard because he knows he's going to boil forever. So now I'll give you this. Okay, I've got, I don't have 60 seconds. I barely got 60 seconds. So let me do this. I'll give you two. He's a, my kids, they get us, oh, dad's pulling this stuff out. He's pulling this stuff out. Because <laughs> I always print papers. I'm still a paper person. I've got to learn to do more computers, but I like holding it. Uh, number one, I'm just going to hold this up real quick. Number one, uh, I call this spirit wars. How do you fight the devil? Well, God inhabits praise. If you don't know what to do, get your hands up and your mouth open and start thanking God in advance. That's why it's called the sacrifice of praise. You don't feel like doing it. I've taught my kids, if hell lands, you better get your mouth moving. A drunk driver hit my kid's head on one night up in Contus, Oklahoma. Had the pastor's daughter in the car with him. He just ran a red light, went up the front of their car and down the back. Thank God there was a fire station right on the corner. And I mean, the car got totaled. Couldn't open the door. And the engine you know, got on fire. And the hood flew off. And nice, stout little old car. And it uh, didn't crush. But boy, it busted. So my kids get out. And 
So I've told Jesse, I said, if something happens, you start praying in tongues as loud and as fast as you can. You pray the absolute perfect will of God. Now, oh my God, oh my God, oh dear Jesus, oh my, that's not a prayer. <laughs> you start praying in the Holy Ghost and let God show up. So, so Jessica and Charity, my pastor's daughter, got out and they're bouncing up and down like they're on a pogo stick. Because, I mean, it's been like, whoa, boom, oh my, glass flying and nobody got her. Well, they're jumping up down screaming in tongues. Jessica still does this day. She'll get excited. She'll jump. And I've taught her to do that. I'd make him do it. I'd go through the house and say, come here a minute. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to start praying in tongues as loud as fast. Oh, dad, shut up. Count to three. I'm going to count to three. Go. And I'd make him pray in tongues as loud as fast as I could for about 10 seconds. Okay, that's enough. You can go. Dad, you're just weird. Shut up. You're going to thank me one day. Shut up. <laughs> I'd catch him coming out of the kitchen with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Come here. Oh, God, shut up. Come here a minute. Count to three. Go. Okay, fine. Go on. Get eat your sandwich. Because if you wait to, if you don't get used to doing this, you won't do it when hell lands. I want you to slap the devil quick. So the firemen came over, Jessica jumping up and down, Charity screaming in tongues, and they strapped them to a gurney <laughs> and took them to Hillcrest Hospital because they thought they were in shock. And Sarah kept up, no, no, they're spirit filled, they're, they're Pentecostals. They're, so they finally met them in the hospital at five o'clock, but we had to stay about four hours that night because they were Shonda. Oh, I didn't bless myself with that. Uh, this is real big. Okay, I'll do this and this one. Let me close this. Um, teach my kids about money a lot, uh, a lot. Uh, you're gifted to make money. It's just that what you're good at. And once you find out what you're good at, you've got to get better at it. So, um, hmm, first manifestation of the fall of man was poverty. Hmm, nasty, bad stuff. 7.1 billion people live on earth. 790 million lack adequate nutrition. 1 billion don't have safe water. 2.4 billion don't have sanitation. Uh, 1 billion don't have adequate shelter. Uh, 2 billion live without electricity. It's just a long, skanky list. 46% of all Americans live in poverty. It's, poverty is a demonic thing. Yet the devil's got people mad at rich people. Stinking rich people. Now, I grew up, I was angry at rich people. I hated rich people. Stinking rich, stinking rich people. Why don't you hate them? Because I thought that's why I was poor. They got all the money. And I realized something. I was 17 when I realized a poor person had never hired me. Only rich people had hired me. I got me a revelation. As Oral Roberts said one time, God ain't poor no more. So I do things different now. So please, this is Joe McGee, not God. Okay, this is me. I got two minutes, Joe McGee. I make my kids read one book every quarter, and I buy it for them. So this, we've done this before. We're on this for the third time. It's called The Magic of Thinking Big. David Schwartz out of uh, Georgia State University out of Atlanta. Christian man, not a Christian book. Not a Christian book, secular book. And the reason I make him read stuff like this because if you don't start thinking bigger, you're, you're not going anywhere. And I, I hate the fact of mediocrity. Mediocrity is a spirit. And so I, I got to realize, well, we're just trying to get a job. I'm just trying to get out of school. I'm just trying to pass algebra. I'm just trying to get by, just not, not to fight. I said, you have no life. You're a thumb sucker. So you've got to chase something bigger than you. Well, you can't do it. Nobody's hiring. Everybody's firing. Economy's bad. You know, stock market's down. And there's terrorist attacks. And I said, you're not reading your Bible, are you? You're feeding on stupid because it's coming out of your mouth, out of the bunch of heart, the mouth will speak. And I hear nothing but sheer stupidity coming out of your mouth. And so what I did, I printed up those cards I read this morning. And so that's how that started, those three by five cards. And I'm going to give you something else to say besides what you're saying because you're really starting to depress me. I remember I came by one day and Jessica's mad because she hadn't had a raise. 
They, they promised me a raise, and they promised me three years ago, and they're not ever going to give me a raise. I said, what? They're not ever going to give me a raise? I said, well, in Jesus' name, according to Matthew 18, 19, I set myself in agreement with you. In Jesus' name, you'll never get a raise. <laughs> Many people down there will get a raise. You're not going to be one of them. You'll, ne you'll never get a raise. I'm not ever going to give you a raise. And so, uh, it's, Dad, don't say that. Don't say that. No, babe, I won't agree with it. Well, don't say it. No, babe, I'm going to say what you say. In Jesus' name, many people get a raise. You will never get a raise down there. And so she had to change what she said. Baby, I'm going to jump on that like a duck on a June bug. Whatever you say, I'm going to agree with. So you better start talking right. And so she, she did. And next thing you know, she not only got a raise, she got promoted. And she's doing what she's doing now because she kept getting promoted into that position. Now she can do that position from home, make just as much money in two days from home she did working full time. Why? Life and death in the power of the tongue. So I said, why don't you think bigger than you? Well, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough, and I'm too old, or I'm too skinny, I'm too fat, and I'm too short, and I'm too tall. Shut your face up. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. So start dreaming bigger stuff. Dream about something. There's no way you could do it by yourself. Then watch God show up. This is the one we call, we call do-it-yourself dads. I'll just read this. I hate doing the negative thing, but it's because I run numbers all the time. This is the U.S. Census uh, this year. 43% of all kids in America live without their father. That's almost half of all children in America have no dad at home. Now, there's a reason for this. Hang on with me. 90% of all homeless runaway children have no father. 71% of all pregnant teenagers, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of patients in chemical abuse centers have no father. There's not one sitcom that honors a man. All men are stupid, sorry, and lazy, no good. So if you're not reading the Bible, stinking man, who needs a man? I don't need no man. I don't know. It's somewhere in the Bible. I think he came first. Somewhere in Genesis. It gets quiet when you say that. Now, I'm a father of five daughters. I want you to do really good. I don't want you to need a man. I want you to want a man. I want you to want a man to love you and take care of you and suck lips off your face and give you babies. I want you to train them up to serve God and be a blessing. I don't want you to need him. I want you to want him. So I wanted all my kids to be able to make money on their own, be successful on their own, and suck the lips off their husband. I love you, but I don't need you. I just need Jesus, and I already got him. So let's have a life together and not get where you tolerate abuse and neglect and whatever. So I went through that process and did this thing called Do-It-Yourself Dads. Uh, <laughs> it's a manual for fatherhood. And, and dads do three things. They love, they lead, and they provide, and that will never change. This is called smart moms. Uh, smart moms know how to keep their mouth shut. Mamas say things that make men nuts. Well, honey, it's going to be fine. Well, no, it's not. They're an idiot. My God, they're an idiot. No, it's, it's going to be fine. God's going to work this out. We're going to help you. My God, we're not helping you anymore. You've gone stupid twice on me. I'm not helping you again. <laughs> men hate looking stupid. It's a number one goal. What's your goal today to not look stupid? So smart moms know how to get their mouth going in the right direction. They know how to pray for the kids. They know how to encourage them and confront them at the same time without making them feel stupid. And then this is the last one. This is called the power of prayer because I don't care what you're doing. If you're not praying, God can't help you. God does not feel sorry for us. God feels sorry for nobody. God's moved by faith. So I had to learn something. What do you know? God made the family and he loves the family. God wants the family to succeed. God's will is that you get married and have babies and train them up Give them back to God. Now, I believe it's God's will that 99% of all people get married. That is my personal belief. There are some people anointed to not get married. If you get married, you'll mess your life up and somebody else's life up. But you're the exception, not the norm. 
God does not change his mind from Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. And I had people all the time say, well, you know, I had a kid in high school. I loved him. Great kid. But he challenged me. Mr. Gay, it's just not right you have six kids. That's not right. Do you know what causes that? I know exactly what causes that. That's why I have six of them. I know exactly what we're doing. And why they, <laughs> we wanted five. God gave us six. Well, that's wrong. Why? Because we're running out of everything. We're overpopulated now. I said, really? And he was a senior. Uh, Pastor Bill and Karen Lyon, I'm here now. They were there when we had this class. Good to see you guys, by the way. Uh, so I said, I'll tell you what you do. We, we had a nine-week course called Biblical Worldview. So you took a paper every day, cut out an article about overpopulation. Make me a scrapbook about how bad it is and what we're out of. And said, so then the next week you will get 25 scriptures to tell me the opposite. I want you to find me a scripture on overpopulation. Find me a scripture how we're running out of everything. And he couldn't. And now you've got to stand up in front of the student body and give me a three-minute dissertation on the difference. And it did change me. So he got up. And I didn't mess with him. I just told him to do it. He said, well, I'll be honest with you. I've been upset with Mr. McGee. I really like Mr. McGee. He's a great principal, but man, he's got too many kids because we're running out of everything. And so I found all these articles in the Tulsa world about overpopulation, running out of food, running out of ozone, running out of land. And we're running out of everything. But then I found the scriptures, and I couldn't find one. It said there'd be plenty of children, plenty to feed them, and that there's still going to be a thousand-year reign after Jesus comes, and people be having babies, and nobody will die for a thousand years. So here's what I discovered. Now, this is back when I was still at Grace. He said, I found out in my research that all 6.3 billion people will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. Now, Jacksonville, Florida is the largest city geographically in America. It's a big city. Take an hour to drive through it north to south. It's a big city. Every human on this planet will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. Everybody. Everybody in Tennessee, everybody in Mississippi, everybody in Georgia, everybody in Texas, everybody in New York, everybody in California, everybody in China, everybody in India, everybody in Russia, every living human on this planet will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits, which means you have Mississippi to yourself. <laughs> There'll be nobody here. They're all in Jacksonville. Now, the point of that is this. We're not running out of nothing. We're abusing everything. We're not running out of nothing. We're killing the animals off. We're killing the ozone, but we're not running out of nothing. If you don't know the truth, you'll buy into a lie about your life, your relationship, your future. Well, I just hope I live long. Well, with long life, I'll satisfy and show you my salvation. God said that, unless you want to believe something different. You can go home early if you want to. But God promised length of days to be in one hand, riches not on the other. You choose. God said, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing. You get to choose. Guys, you're sitting in the most powerful thing in the universe tonight. You're sitting in a local church. There is nothing more powerful than the local church. We get no good media because <laughs> the devil hates us. We are what's happening. So let's stand up. I want to pray something over you. I got something to pray. Every seminar we do, we do a lot of parenting marriage seminars. Oh. So I want you to keep your head up and your eyes open. Look up here. Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Sets me free. It keeps me free. According to your word, I ask you, teach my family to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And with that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. I also ask you, surround my family with a shield of divine favor. People like us. They don't even know why. And I ask you, send friends, godly friends, into my family's life that will strike iron, 
and cause us to grow and become all you want us to be. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, the Bible says that the redeemed of the Lord say so. You've got to get in the habit when you don't feel like it, when there's alligators up on your armpit. What are you going to say? I'm a child of God, blessed and highly favored. God's working all things out to my good. I don't know what the devil's stealing right now, but he's got to pay back seven times whatever he takes. So go ahead, big boy. It's just good interest. Go ahead. Because I'm a blessed individual. You've got to learn to say what God says. You're no different than Paul and Silas sitting in the prison, rats chewing on their toenails, backs bleeding, sitting in the middle of human waste. And all of a sudden, that dark thing that night, all of a sudden, Silas here, somebody's snapping her thumb. Hey, hey, Paul, you hear that snapping sound? You hear that snapping? Yeah, that's me. What, what, what are you doing, Paul? What are you doing? I feel a song coming on. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and he broke out into a song, and the angel came down, kicked the cell off, the chains fell off, they went and got the jailer saved, ate dinner at his house, and water baptized before the sun came up. Please don't think I'm trying to be funny. God inhabits praise. When you don't feel like doing it, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Because if you don't, you'll get going. My kid will never turn out. They're never going to grow up. They're never going to be able to hold down a job. They'll never shut your face up. My Sarah, my Sarah flunked algebra two years in a row. Made straight E's and everything except algebra. And I thought, dear God, you got to pass algebra. You can't get into college without algebra. You got to pass it. I hate it. I was just up the devil, and you said so. I said, I never did say that. Yes, you did. You said God does everything decent and in order, and God made letters, and God made numbers, and somebody's put them together and created confusion. <laughs> That's good. That's not God. And so summer school, uh, we didn't go to Disney that year. We went six weeks of summer school to take algebra two to get a C. And then her senior year, she took the ACT test five times and only took the math section. She's knocking the snot out of that test. Heathens are going to give us money. But math's killing us off. I said, you've got to get that algebra score up. Because all the math on the SATH is all algebra 2. And that's what she was bad at. She took it five times her senior year and finally bumped it the last test in June and got the full scholarship to Oral Roberts University. Blessings don't just come. You've got to swim out and get them. God's promised good things. We've got to learn how to fight for them. How do you fight? With your mouth, not your flesh. You don't cuss. You get your mouth moving. God, I am the redeemed of the Lord, and I'm going to say so. You're going to give me sweet sleep tonight. You're going to talk to me when I go to sleep, and I wake up, and I walk during the day. Angels got kept out about me. No evil can come near my dwelling. In Jesus' name, i got angels everywhere. Start saying what God says about what you're afraid of, and watch it turn. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Pastor. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.